You're welcome to come to this. We've been doing for quite a number of years on Wednesday and on Sundays in the morning. So this evening's Dharma talk is titled Parts of the Practice. Parts, various parts of the practice. This topic was suggested by uh, the Sokansu, the Chazon. Oh, I give it the title, though. He didn't do that. But the topic is, um, is interesting and something that uh, should be talked about. And I will endeavor to do that and we'll invite some questions also as we go along or at the end of whenever I run out of breath. So the parts, uh, classically, it's the, the, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, the teacher. And I have to have a teacher. It's going to be hard to do this unless you meet someone that uh, has been doing this for a while and has some clarity about what this is. And that is not easy to get. When I say not easy, it's also not hard. And I would also say just because someone has practiced for 50 years guarantees nothing. You can spend a long, long time going in uh, circles and not and think it's a straight line. So very simply, the first part of the situation is, and, and this can show up differently for each person, of course. Um, maybe the teacher, maybe the teaching, maybe the community, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Uh, for me, it was, I started reading about Buddhism in 1960. I read uh, Zen Flesh, Zen Bones by Paul Reps, a book you may have heard of or even read. And then went on from there and found out whatever else I could, and there wasn't much available in the 60s. But there was some here and there. And then, uh, didn't really understand, even though I worked at it and tried to understand, and then I would go to other studies and so on, in different directions, different philosophies, psychology, and lots of, a, a, quite a potpourri of what's everything about? What is this about? What is it fundamentally? And then I met my teacher. I met a living Buddha. How do I know? Adam. Seemed like it. Sure, knock me over. And then I met, you could say, his community, which were uh, quite broad. He has a lot of students. <clears throat> but of these three, the teacher, the teaching, and the community, the very most important thing that I spent my time on as a student of the Buddha's Dharma with the help of my teacher, with the help of his community, or the community was his, uh, and uh, the Dharma, or <clears throat> the heart, mind of Sosan, or 
the Diamond Sutra, the Heart Sutra, and I just go on and on, as any of you could, studying these teachings. What is the conceptual understanding of the formal truths, the twelve links on the chain of existence, the six realms, the three realms, all of the different types. If you just read a couple of pages of the Abhidharma material, it's just extensive the degree to which human beings, students of the Buddha's Dharma, have spent breaking down consciousness into all kinds of parts. Quite interesting. But the most important thing, as I was beginning to say, that I was introduced to by my teacher, Jogim Trungpa Rinpoche, was the sitting practice of meditation. Absolutely, of all the parts, that's the one. You're going to need the other ones, but you need to, you need to socially distance yourself from everything and get to that wall. Or as I did in the early days, get to a place to sit down and shut up and look at the carpeting because we didn't face a wall in those days. That wasn't the instruction. And the early instruction that was given there was very similar to Shikantaza, except it wasn't Shikantaza. It was just sit down and sit still. Have your eyes open. Was any particular instruction that I recall? Somebody might have been telling me exactly. He might have been telling me exactly what to do, but I don't remember it. A lot of other things going on in my in my mind at that time. So get to the wall. Get get to that. Of all the things you can do, reading, studying, memorizing texts. all important, reading books. Before I go in and emphasize more of the sitting practice of meditation or awareness practice, I would like to say that the other thing that we do here that doesn't happen in other sanghas I've been involved with anyway, is two things, two things, these two things, the sangha and the dharma should be studied together, not you sitting somewhere on the beach reading uh, Dogen by yourself. Don't read any of this material by yourself very much. Read it a little bit, but study it with other people. If you've been coming attending to any of the scheduled studies, Footsteps at Noon, which go, uh, we've been doing this for many, many years, sit down, have a book, uh, study that book. I think we're studying the Lankavatara Sutra, one of the foundation texts of Zen and Chan Buddhism. And we study it with others. Study it with other people that are, some are more insightful, perhaps, some not so insightful, and some are confused by it. And as you, if you've listened to me very much, you'll hear me say, doesn't matter if you understand it. Don't, this is not a school are not a training in sociology, biology, chemistry, mathematics, history, anything else. This is a spiritual path. So therefore, it has a lot of information. And if it helps you to memorize or to analyze or to read a very intense, difficult texts or difficult commentaries on difficult texts that quite often the commentaries are even more difficult than the text. Sounds better that way. It's more difficult. 
not important for you to learn. And am I, what am I saying? I'm not saying you shouldn't learn. You should just be a, a dodo bird. All apologies to birds, but that you should you should be willing to actually look and study and have a willingness to not understand what is being said so that there is some kind of spaciousness in your mind so that the actual meaning can actually arise and not be searched for and grasped and hung on to so that you can pass a test that's coming up. Or maybe there won't be a test. There certainly wouldn't be one in here. But maybe so you could show somebody else how much you know about the five dharmas or the three natures. Not that you're doing that. So what does this do? This actually allows 10, 15 people who all have different ways of learning, have different dynamic that is happening. It's respectful everyone's way of learning. So you can come in and attend a class and never comment. This doesn't mean that the facilitator, he or she or they won't say, so Jim, how does this look to you? You have a perfectly valid right to say, I don't know or doesn't make any sense to me. What is that called? Sangha, community. Not everybody knowing everything. Sangha, that very inclusion, including someone and including their not knowing. Or asking someone else and the other person might hold forth a little bit and say, well, uh, this seems to be, what's being said here seems to be very similar to what Wei Neng was saying when he said this, this, and this. So that there seems to be, some people are, or processing that way, and they should be included also. But the person who doesn't know, not that you should develop that knee-jerk response to everything that's ever asked you, like Juzon did one time. He was trying to cover up how smart he is. See how quick he agreed with me? He does not want to cross swords. <laughs> I don't have one, so I can't cross them. So it's about your intention. It's not a mundane path of getting somewhere. There are some things in this path that do apply, that do fit. And as far as getting somewhere, accomplishing something, we got to feed ourselves. We have to have to keep the lights on. So there are other areas that are somewhat discrete areas from this temple that is trying to see what is fundamentally true, not how to pay for the, the paint or the, for the roofing or for our mortgage, whatever it may be. So we need to have, it needs to run both directions. It needs to have that kind of a structure because the society we're in, uh, they do not just give freely, oh, let's just donate to the monastery down the road. They don't even know it's a monastery. They think it's still a toy store, probably, or whatever, or maybe not. But but there's no, there's no, the society in ancient India was very, very supportive of the Buddha, as I understand it. And his uh, community, thousands of monks, could go out and just hold up their bowl and immediately they were fed because they were on a spiritual path and they were respected because these other people were farmers or merchants and so on. And they, they couldn't do that, but they really respected the people who were on the spiritual path, kind of on their behalf. And that was really the case. Other people were doing it for them. Powerful karma there. Powerful merit, which is, was emphasized quite a bit back in those days. Or uh, Japan, China, Japan, if you go to Japan and you function as a Buddhist uh, monk, 
there in a in a, a monastery you're taken care of. Uh, if you function as a Buddhist monk in a temple, the whole society there just takes care of you. You receive donations. My son Takudo, who is now in, still in Nepal, who was here at the monastery for a little while, he uh, he lived in Japan for close to two years, and and it was uh, and functioned being a monk. He functioned with the memorial services, a funeral kind of things. I don't know if he married anyone, but I know he did quite a few memorial services. And he would go there without uh, without the teacher, without Hojo Sami. He would go, um, and he was trained to do that. So, but that society would just value that and support it. Not happening here. It's it's very selective here. It's some valuing, but not the way it is where there's a strong cultural tradition. Buddhism only goes back to the late. Uh, what late late 1800s i think is when it first showed up in the, this country it takes a few hundred years for this to take root and then so uh the dedication devotion to the teacher is important dedication devotion to studying the dharma with sangha and to supporting the sangha interacting with the sangha very important but of all those three might not be able to do this without the without the teacher might be too difficult to do that. But some people do. Some people are able to do sitting meditation and do it long periods of time. Dr. Mark, I don't know if I see him on here. Mark Hirsch, he uh, meditated for many years without uh, long periods of time without a teacher. Some people are unusual can do that. So get to the wall and listen to the instruction. Sit down, hold still, sit symmetrical, have all your senses open. And if you do that and then just hold a symmetrical posture without being rigid or without being macho or stoic, allow yourself to move or shift if you need to. But it's about awareness. It is not about accomplishing something. This is the dynamic that propels and fuels and supports and gives nutrition to ego or the narcissism or that that uh, roped off area in the mind that is so paranoid about being abused, being attacked, being insulted. It's not that that kind of thing isn't happening and it shouldn't be dealt with in some way. But we might start by just uh, opening up a little bit to see what is coming to us in the form of our lifetime, our life. Whatever is happening, pardon me, whatever is happening has a right to be there. Not a right, not, not like a, a stamped approval, but it's dependently arisen. So it's not a singularity called your toothache. It's it's dependent on everything else. Just in the, the simple form is the body uh, having various kinds of health uh, advantages or health problems, all the various in between. It's even more complicated than that. It actually leaves the physical area where science has has its uh, hooks into it, trying to control it and get, get results and get power, get control, make money, and so on. And it actually is, goes beyond that. It's a deeper, it's consciousness only. Has to be seen. We can talk about this. Dan Lusthaus can talk about this. They're a scholar. Other teachers, scholars can talk about this and 
very conceptual outlay of how this works and various, <coughs> various kinds of teachers all over the place are talking about mind training in different ways. Quite often it's about feeling better, getting better, and so on. I don't happen to do that so much. A little bit, but mainly it has to do with you need to see this yourself, not just obey me or belong to some kind of a cult where you don't dare say what's on your mind or what's happening. But you can actually uh, participate and train your mind with the support of other people who are Sangha, who are supporting you so that you can have the time to sit, look at the wall for a few hours a day. Not everyone has that, of course, just people who live here. So get to the wall. This is the connection with the teachers, indispensable connection with the Dharma, some understanding of the Dharma, just the five skandhas, the four noble truths, just the three, just the three as poisons, passion. I want it. Aggression, get it out of here. And ignorance or, I don't know what you're talking about, I don't see any problem. My, you know, way of kind of sarcastic way of talking about the three poisons. And that's just a simplification of something that's so elaborate that it's never the same aggression, just that. It's never just ignorance. It's never just passion. It's mixtures and overlapping nuance. And it's changing, fluctuating all the time. And it needs to be seen, not stopped, seen, not agreed with, seen, not removed. Just you need to see it. And you can if you persist. And you bring all of the the movement that is just happening in anyone who's in a living form, a human being, like my hands are moving, just stop the hand, stop the movement. Don't stop breathing. You might even want to watch the breath come and go. Just don't fasten down on it and call that some kind of mindfulness practice. I, know I was trained that way. I don't do that anymore. I, I don't. I don't disagree with that. Some people, that might be all they can do. Apparently, that all of the all of the Trung Rinpoche students were all doing that. Maybe he felt, I don't know, I didn't talk to him about it. Maybe he felt that that's the best practice for someone to do when they're starting out is to uh, follow the breath and label thinking. And then when thinking rises, label thinking, return to the breath, label thinking, return to the breath. I, I disagree. And I did that practice for decades. You might say, well, yeah, but if you hadn't done that practice, uh, how would you know about? Hmm. Yeah, you could say that. You should ask me about that and see what arises out of that. Dependently risen, there is not a singularity anywhere that is without uh, cause, without some kind of cause. And that cause is not one Thing, pushing this, pushing that, shoving this down, is at fault or at blame or gets blame or gets credit. It's not that simple. It's incredibly elaborate from the relative point of view. And from the ultimate point of view, it's just this. And you can see it. You can understand it. So coming back to the parts, that idea there. Well, all three of those, if you have a little connection with each one of the three jewels, and of course, sometimes the one that is missed the most is Sangha, because 
what we have here. We actually have a, a, a living Sangha in real time online with people from all over the place, including all the people in here. What is there? A dozen, a little over a dozen people here. And then there's 31 people on Zoom and maybe some people on YouTube. Maybe some YouTube on there. Well, we've got, got enough to sink a ship. <clears throat> sit, sit a lot, find some time. Move off to one side, sit down, and just return to your original nature, which you will not recognize right away. Sit down, hold still, and watch what continues to push this way, push that way, show up, turn over, turn dark, turn light. All the variations that can happen when you just watch what moves. Have some questions, I can respond to them. She is on buying web Um is there any way to see how meditation informs the other practices on the path, bowing? Yes. The way it informs it, and this is a, a just a, a, a statement about it that kind of broad, but it's very nuanced. If we go into it with any person, it's going to function differently. But basically, the sitting practice of meditation, what you are doing is you are training yourself to be an observer, not a creator, a builder, a strategizer, a planner, uh, uh, an executive, whatever. You're not, not against any of those. Of course, we need all of that. We need it. But when you sit down and hold still and train your mind to just hold still, the only thing you can hold still is the body. You can't hold the mind still, even though there are mantras that claim that. But And just watch what moves. Then what you're doing is because of the teaching, because of the recommendation, because of the instruction, you are over time getting more and more, you could say skilled if you wanted to, at or more and more reconditioned or realigned with just that part of consciousness that used to push or grab or shove down or be afraid of whatever arose in the in the sense fields or in the in the mind stream out of, out of the storehouse consciousness. Where am I? Here I go again. I don't like this. These feelings here they come again or whatever it could be depression, something that doesn't have any seem to have any source or any cause. Very difficult one. And then we name it so we can at least we know what it is is depression. That hasn't really solved anything other than put a, a lid on something that needs to be investigated. So what happens is when we interact with the teacher, uh, the Buddha, the Dharma, and Sangha, we interact with the teacher, we're more likely to be able to just receive what the teacher is saying without understanding it, without this constant need to understand every damn thing. Just receive. Difficult. It's difficult. So this gives you an ability to sit down and receive something without jabbering at yourself about, oh, I can't quite understand. I can't understand what so goes on. Or I can't understand what the, the Lankavatar is saying. We just run this by ourselves over and over. And what does that do? It reinforces the very problem that is there initially, which is you think you are somebody. And there is no one who believe this. It's not going to help. But there's no solid being here. Please take a close look. 
If you see that there's no solid self in the skandhas, form, feeling, perception, concept, consciousness, there's no being who is seeing, there's no one who smells, tastes, tastes, touches, thinks, there's no solid being. It's just consciousness only. It's an astonishing realization. And you can practice your whole life and not realize it. And all it takes is somebody not being really clear on that instruction. So sitting practice of meditation will train you. For one thing, it'll help you just calm down a little bit and be, as Trunk Burma Jay would say, be, might not attain an, uh, enlightenment, but you'll be, you won't be such a nuisance to everyone because you'll be watching what arises in the mind stream and maybe kind of realizing that this is a really stupid thing for me to be thinking or saying or whatever. You just won't do it. So there might, something might arise and then some kind of judgment will come down. That will happen for a while. And eventually even the judgment will be received. Nothing gets validated. What you did that was seeming like you were going to say something stupid or interfere with someone who it was three weeks ago or 10 weeks ago or five years ago, before you started meditating, you would have argued with everybody about everything, trying to establish your territory, who you are, and you've got to you know, be your own man or whatever. I just got to be me. I got to find the real me. We hear this all over. You hear it when you, not that there's something wrong with Tony Robbins or someone who works in that area, but it's not, it's not a spiritual path. It's a mundane path of trying to clean up and uh, have a healthy self-image or ego. Go do that. You could, you could do, go do that. But it will not help you particularly when you're getting ready to pass into, pass back on back into the elements from which you came. So sitting meditation also will help you with Sangha or community. You'll be more likely to listen to what people are saying rather than immediately jump to the conclusion of what they're trying to tell you and finish their sentence for them. So you might actually be able to listen to someone. You might actually be able to listen to and respect somebody because you've been practicing on your own mind and you're beginning to have some respect for your own confusion. So when you meet others that seem to be confused, instead of correcting them, you listen. You, you, you listen to them. Find out how they're doing. Ask them how they're doing. Be considerate, about, uh, be considerate of others, especially people that are difficult to work with. Be considerate. And the teaching, you are better able to read and study something without placing demands on yourself that you somehow uh, understand uh, what Dogen is saying when he says, uh, firewood does not become ash. Or when he says, talks about actualizing the fundamental point by just sitting there. How can that be? If that is, why don't we realize it? That's why it's called a spiritual path. You actually see what this is ultimately. That's why it's called transcendence on occasion. This is possible. But without training the mind, without having some way of training ourselves to stop what's the common expression, jumping the gun. Every time something happens, we jump. Do this, do that, stop that, don't do that. Oh, stop doing this. Instead, we 
We don't do anything else. We have to have, have some kind of natural patience with everything. We're, we're willing to not know what is happening next. And we are no longer uh, making demands on anyone. No longer demanding on our, our partner, our wife, our mother. On uh, Sangha members, or on the teacher, no demand. She is unbowing. Yes, sir. What is um, important about having our meditation be guided by a teacher as opposed to self-directed bowing? So the teaching person, if they are teaching out of what they see, just another way of saying someone who is realized. And what do they realize? You can't put it into words what they realize. A simple way of saying that nothing is separate. There are no separate beings. He or she, if that, even that is applying anymore, because sometimes that is not, sees what this is, and they they probably won't do much at all. If, they, if you see what this is, there's not much to do. But if you have people that, that think of you as a teacher or think of someone, you're someone that can help them, then you may find yourself producing out of what you see with them and with their situation, maybe telling them things or saying, try this or try that, or don't do this or don't do that. You might have permission to do that. Is that what you're asking me about or am I missing it? Jeez, I'm buying. Yes. And I'm also wondering if there's pitfalls when we just, when we meditate and don't have a teacher to help bowing. Yeah. Well, the pitfall might be dangerous or, but more than likely it just causes more, uh, more circles. We tend to think we're getting somewhere. It's called spiritual materialism. Confirm, but Jay has a whole book on it, which we study uh, every Tuesday, is it? Every Tuesday night. Been doing that since 1975 with some group, not this group. These people weren't here yet. Most of them. So what helps to have a teacher is the teacher can look at you and give you feedback that will hit, will hit you or if you're if you're receiving it if you're a true student if you're actually receiving what's coming to you without being selective or saying well I can't you know I like what Sokazan said about this or I like what Trungpa said about this I like, well you know the Buddha said this but this other stuff he's saying you know I don't know about that you know taking uh Dividing it up into what you like about it, and what you agree with. Well, I totally agree with what the what the Buddha said. So you may need the teacher, so that when you get after you practice and practice, you may need to come in front of the teacher and uh, present. If you, I often invite people. If you think you're awake, come and show me that awakening. I would love to talk to you about it. If, if in fact you you feel like that's the truth, if you have doubts about it, you might want to stay home. But if you're convinced, you realized your true nature, you, you could come. But what's interesting, if you've realized your true nature, you wouldn't have any interest in talking to me at all. Why would you do that? Wouldn't be no point, no credential, with no accomplishment. You might just stay home and take care of your dog. Or 
help your neighbor, or you might even be someone who has meditation students, even one. So the teacher is able to do that, not just by saying, uh, oh, what you're, what you're missing here is you need to do this and this and this, and you have this misunderstanding here. No, it won't be anything like that. All they have to do is look at you. You look back at them and you know exactly what is happening. But we have a teacher, so we have somebody that we can trust that is not going to feed us a bunch of bull about anything. We're, we're done with that. We don't need any congratulations from anybody on anything. But we do want to train our mind. We do want to see what this is. So we have someone that we, as we go along, we can present ourselves to. And, and everyone does this in a different way. And the teacher, again, as I said, if they're, if they're teaching out of what they see or what is in front of them, what they observe, then they'll be able to observe you and give you the kind of feedback that you need in order to not make things worse for you, support you so you can fundamentally realize your true nature, which is not separate from anything anywhere. Sometimes the fancy word is transcendence. This is possible. There won't be any proof. And you won't know it. Tungpa Rinpoche once said, so it got into a, and I know where it's one of the books that shows up. And there's something to this because there, fundamentally nothing is separate. So, and I think it was something like that. He was being addressed a question like, well, well, if you're already awake and then you already can do this. If it's already the case, then why do you need a teacher? And his, I have to paraphrase a little bit. He says, it seems like you need somebody to sit there and watch you do it, watch you actually realize it. Why do we talk about sitting meditation separate from the three jewels as opposed to them being the same concept? It's, it's basically just uh, uh, dharma. We do because it's it's, what are you going to say about sitting meditation? You can teach it. Uh, I think I talked about 108 times in this last book. Sit down, hold still, watch what moves. It's like ducks in a pond, like birds flying through the sky, snakes crawling up the building, side of the building. Just watch what moves. So it's just Dharma. You have the Buddha, you have the teacher. You have the, the Dharma, which is all of that. It's train your mind. It's taught different ways. Shamatha Vipassana, sit down, hold still, and build a, a strong meditative presence. Shamatha, resting in tranquility, calm, abiding. And then work on the Vipassana or in a separate way. Or in Shikantaza, you're doing both at the same time. You're actually, you might be following what's moved, what, what is moving for 15 minutes. You might just be watching your breath. Or you might be watching thought patterns come and go. This is so, and it shows up differently. But it's just Dharma, the truth. Any questions on Zoom? I can't see everyone, so if you have a question, just speak up. Ocean bowing. Um, I've been doing Shikantaza inside, looking at my gray wall over here, and um, thinking about uh, setting up in the backyard, like at dawn, 
Um, you know, there's going to be a lot more going on with the birds and everything. Um, any instructions about that or, or should I stay with the, uh, the, you know, the real plain view right here? How much are you sitting in a week's time? How many hours do you sit right now, generally? Uh, 14 and 4. So uh, like 18, and then I'm doing the uh, Saturday at the end of the month, the day long. Okay, so I would say, uh, you know, if it's if you want to sit out in the backyard, um, look at a look at a tree or something where nothing is moving and where it's fairly close to you, you're still going to see the birds and see the leaves move and so on. But it's after a while, the entertainment value tends to fade. So I would say you could do a little of each. You really want to be out in the out in the weather a little bit to understand that. But I wouldn't make it uh, make the entertainment go up too much. So this way you can actually watch the movement of the mind. A little bit of movement's all right. Uh, the gray wall sounds really, that sounds really dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Sir, Pyoto. Pyoto Bowling, when, um, when you asked, and you asked sometimes to clarify how much we're sitting right now when we ask something, and what does that show you in, in response? Well, it's just a, I have no idea uh, how, you know, not, uh, um, you know, the way I'm responding here to Kyoshin, uh, uh, it's uh, just, you know, if you're only sitting, you know, half hour a day, then you might want to face the wall uh, for all that. But if you're, if you're sitting 15, 20 hours and, you know, then, then you could maybe change it a little bit. Whereas if you're, in the monastery, better to stay right in here if you want to change it or something, than go and sit in front of a window looking out. Look at a wall, look at a wall, look at a wall, look at a wall. Maybe sit in front of the window a little bit. Or you could also do some walking meditation on your own. So when, so when I'm asking, very simply, I'm not like, I don't have a calculator or something. It just gives me an idea that how much time you're holding still, watching what moves. Not particularly the conclusion that I would come up with there is, as like I said, 15 to 18 hours. So it's a lot of sitting for someone that doesn't live in a monastery. How can we do sitting meditation wrong? The best way to do medit sitting meditation wrong is not to do it. That's wrong. Get to the cushion, sit down. I, I, I think if the if the if you're sincere and you're persistent and, and you just get to the get to the cushion, get to the wall. And even if you have to get up after 10 minutes and then you come right back, it's the intention to get there, not the maintenance. The maintenance can make it so you it's hard to you feel like once you go in there, you just can't move until the, the dawn hits the bell or until you're uh, until you stopwatch goes off or your smartphone or whatever. And I would say also don't use a smartphone to time anything. It's, it's kind of okay to call people or text if you want. I'm okay with that. I do that, but don't use it to time anything because it's, it's a, it is going to be a time sink as a, the people at um, Instagram and, and TikTok and Google, Facebook, as they get smarter and this technology gets smarter and smarter, they're actually going to start to read everything that's happening in your body and give you feedback. And what is that about? Control and power and money. 
Use one of these. I'll take it off and show it to you. This is a $20 Timex. It's, it goes in circles. This is what your mind is doing, going in circles. And this is what samsara is doing, going in circles. So you need to use the circular model so you understand you, you are in a relative world physically. You need to use that. Don't use the, the digital thing, which abstracts everything into uh, things that are uh, take on a different meaning. It hypnotizes us into numbers. Or if you want to use one of those, then go ahead, but just check in with me every now and then. <clears throat> Any further questions? Dr. Bowing, um, I was wondering about um, in, when meditation is kind of chopped up, like mine is these days, I get interrupted constantly, and so it's piecemeal. Is it just as valuable to sit like 20 minutes here and a half an hour there as it is to just sit in a block, Bowing? Yes, of course it is. Any, any meditation you can, it's always situational. And if you can do block sitting for four hours, or uh, didn't you just finish a 20-day solitary retreat, or was it a month? It was a month, wasn't it? Yeah, so especially somebody who has lots of sitting practice uh, in, their, in their, uh, their whole dynamic, uh, as, as you do, then you know you, you're, it's much more workable for you to do the very thing you're asking about. Whereas if someone is just starting, a meditation, especially shikantaza, because other kinds of meditation are, um, and I, I can't say this is a blanket statement, but I think are a little easier to do. Shikantaza is uh, hard to do because your eyes are open and you don't have a technique to follow other than watch what moves. Not a lot happening there as far as entertainment, particularly. Further question, Gokudo? Uh, you quoted Trumpa earlier saying you have to you have to have someone watch you do it. Yes. Um, what what is the teacher watching us do? Ellen? So if I were to be very, very descriptive about it, uh, the teacher is slowly watching you. Uh, um, become more and more and more aware of how uh, what a fool you are and your self-deception without adding to it, making things worse for you, but supporting you so you can see your true nature because your true nature is covered by incredibly dense self-deception and confusion about right and wrong, me and the other guys and what I deserve, what I can't get and what they won't let me have on and on and on, petty mind. It's sickening to look at that. If you have a teacher, and that gives you, uh, that trusts you, and you could say is empowering you by saying you can do this. That's what I had from my teachers. Both of them did it in different ways. The one did, did it positively, and the other one did it negatively. And it was very helpful. Shokabang, earlier with studying the Dharma, you talked about the importance of studying together with Sangha. Yes. Is there, does the Sangha inform the sitting practice of meditation? 
What do you mean by inform? Shogavang, um, how does the Sangha support the individual sitting practicing meditation? So you have a monastery. That's why we have uh, at uh, 7 a.m. every Thursday morning, some, maybe only one, but one, two, three people come in here, strike the gong, there's no sutras, nothing is chanted, sit down and somebody wherever else in Kansas or Missouri or across the continent can tune in and have somebody else sitting in real time and practicing the teaching that, that I uh, teach. And so you actually have, there's something about doing that with others is very powerful. Sangha, community. <clears throat> and it's also powerful to do this totally alone. There's no one there, as you know. You just got out of retreat also. So being all alone for day after day after day and any kind of negativity comes up in your mind, you can't blame anybody for it. It's yours. Even though it's the memory of somebody mistreating you or abusing you or disrespecting you. The emotion is rising in your mind stream. So it's not yours. No one, as you've heard me say many times, no one is pouring negative feelings into you. Even if they hit you with a club, it's your nerve endings. It's very important to realize that. It will help you see that nothing is separate anywhere. There are no separate things anywhere. Sir. Um, in that club um, situation, can we um, ask someone to stop that or come after them about that? You can take the club away from them and smack them with it. You have to be you have to be aware of what's going on. It's about awareness. It's not what you do or don't do. If you if you take that away and you come after them with uh, aggression or hatred then that might be uh, a little difficult to work with that. But if you if you do it because if you don't do it, the person is going to kill you or hurt you even worse, you might have to take it away from them and stop them. There's lots of ways of looking at that. If you begin to look at it deeply, very hard to find uh, a, a victim uh, or a perpetrator. That's a very difficult area. Going back to the question you asked here a week or two ago, about wasn't it you that asked about victim and perpetrator? It was. I have my memory bank over here by the name of Ondo. TikTok two. Hmm? TikTok two. TikTok three. It's on TikTok. TikTok four. TikTok five. <laughs> <laughs> I know about numbers just because you're an accountant. Doesn't mean I know how to make numbers. There's only nine of them. Zero's not a number. Did you know that? Do you remember saying that? Yeah, I do. Good question. It's on TikTok, right? <laughs> <laughs> not, so not on TikTok two, it's TikTok one. But I just call it TikTok because if you don't if you say two, then it looks like you're promoting more TikToks. I'm not into that. <laughs> it's on TikTok. <laughs> Two. <laughs> yes, sir. Sure, going. Um, it, I can't remember how you said it. I think it was. It doesn't matter what we do or don't do. It's about the awareness. Yes. So, what is blame? 
it's just, I mean, you, know, you can look up it in the dictionary, but how is it you, what do you want to know? Because I don't want to just, I can go get a dictionary and read to you if you need me to. But what, what do you mean? What are you looking for? You know what blame is. It's shifting whatever's happening here over to somebody else, blaming them for how you feel because they didn't act or do what you wanted to or wanted them to or whatever. You get to blame them for how you feel. Go ahead. I think you're just saying mm -hmm. It's pretty straightforward. It's painful to look at if you, if you realize that you're actually doing that, blaming anybody for anything. Since you bowing, is it blame any time that we have a negative response to something someone else is doing? No, it's a pretty generic question, but I would say not necessarily. You know, it, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily, it's almost like the blame is like a finger pointing, you know, coming, abandoning or leaving the very feeling you're having so you can get rid of some of the feeling by pointing at someone. I wouldn't have this if it weren't for you, what you did, what you said, what you did. It's pretty common. You see it happening in children, I'm sure you've noticed. And it's about the awareness of that, not repairing it or fixing it or covering it up uh, or making a lot of apologies. As I sometimes say, if you want to apologize, apologize once. That's that one you actually mean. If you apologize twice or three times, you're looking for forgiveness, which is not, which is just pl playing into the into the rotation of right and wrong, up and down, success and failure, getting rid of the situation. Can we see how someone relatively did cause our pain, but not blame them? Yeah. If you see that quite often, what you'll see is how much that person is suffering himself it might have they might not even know it but they're coming after you because of their own misery and you've done something said something or that has created them to feel the crap they've been hiding out from and suddenly they're starting to feel this and rather than feel that they're just going to blame you for something you said or did and so if you if you're not turning around and pointing back at them or starting a war with them or locking and loading you might actually see how much they're suffering and, and perhaps you might say, might say, I don't know, you might say, whoops, sorry about that, or, or you might not. You might just look at them. You might, you might walk away. Situational. This, if, you're, if you're observing the situation without mixing it up with your, without putting a lot of condiments on it about what it should be, what it shouldn't be, it needs to be warmer, cooler, uh, more texture, less texture. If you're not meddling with the, anything that arises in your mind stream or your life stream, you might actually see what it is uh, in its essence. It's, it's getting close to the dependent origination that we all need to see if we're going to clarify what this is and realize our true nature is not separate from anything anywhere. Is there another? Go ahead. How's it going? Could, say? could awareness be used to justify behavior? Like say, well, I was aware that I was like that. Of course, yeah. I don't know how far that would go. 
Is that, that something would, to look out for? Pardon me? Is that something to look out for? I don't know if you should look out for anything specifically, but just be aware of whatever is moving. And if you can, refrain from modifying or changing it into something that's more acceptable or less your fault. Yes, it can be you can manipulate anything. Um, you're saying that if we apologize multiple times, we're looking for forgiveness or something insincere about it. Is something similar happening when we want to say thank you multiple times? Could be. I think thank you is good. Somebody does something or helps you with something, say thank you. I think it's a good thing to do. Quite often you won't get a thank you. It's traditional to not receive, uh, necessarily receive a thanks from the from the teacher, but in our culture, I, I say thank you to people, or at least bow to them. You, 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 you see what the idea is behind that, that you give and give and give, and this way it becomes an intention rather than something that's a transactional. We're not trying to get rid of transactions. We're going to need them. If we're going to keep the lights on, if we're going to keep the heat on, if we're going to have a, a place where people can come and do something as useless to the rest of the world as sit down, hold still, and look at the wall and turn into a vegetable, which some people think vegetables. But yeah, say thank you. you might say, it would, it, there again, it would be dependent on whatever the situation was. But if you're if you're saying thank you, thank you, thank you, looking for your welcome, then there might be more of a transactional thing going on. It might be more overloaded. Is that what you're wondering about? Just like if you step on someone's foot or take someone's accidentally steal someone's car. <laughs> Apologize <laughs> once. Don't apologize. You apologize twice. You're trying to get forgiven. I'm really sorry. I stole your car. <laughs> your um, 1962 Austin Healey 3000. Yes, I'm telling you that because I wanted to tell you that I owned one 100 years ago. Are there any further questions? Hey, Hong Baoing. I have a follow-up question. Please. You say showing kindness without getting uh, credentials. Does giving compliment is one of the form, one of the kind you, you talk about? And again, you know, Yuhong, I think it's very situational. Uh, it would be, it's, uh, and when I say that, I could elaborate a little bit, but I think I just want to say that first. And then, so there might be times when you, you would do that, and another time where you might, uh, where you might not. You might just notice that maybe somebody's looking for a compliment, but in that situation, maybe you're not gonna you're not gonna supply that for them, and that may just show up out of your awareness. You might not even be sure why you're doing that, but I always say less is better. But even with a, that, but that doesn't mean no compliment. If someone just does something really well, you might say that you know you've done a wonderful job. Uh, uh, painting the kitchen, As, you know, there, if I would have done this, there have been runs everywhere. It looks really great. You know, so I think that's totally appropriate to do that and thank someone for uh, uh, fixing food for you or fixing dinner or, or for 
Yeah, I think it's appropriate to do that and give someone a compliment. You home bowing. Thank yes. you. And also, I've been thinking habit since you mentioned that sometimes habit just allows me to do things without really thinking, just do it. Does this habit fit in the concept of giving without getting any credentials? Probably does. <laughs> it probably does. And, and again, this is something I say over and over again because it's so important. It's not about not getting credentials. It's about being aware that that's what you're doing. If you're aware that you're doing something in order to get uh, something, then that's that's important. It's not so important to change yourself and be a person who never has any problems, never does anything wrong, or no longer has any self-deception at all. Um, uh, might be uh, and, and is. Uh, more important on the spiritual path to be very, very aware of what's coming and going in the mind stream, not controlling it. That's a misunderstanding that is all over the place, mainly macho, macho kind of uh, controlling uh, aspects of the culture, of various cultures, mainly men trying to control. When you say controlling, you often say that the white man. I do. Yeah, how come the you mean the always say white man have the this controlling? I don't understand. You Okay, it could be any could be anyone. Could it could be women. It could be any controlling situation. I just say white men because I'm a white man and I just know how much that's going on in this country, this particular country. You know, in China or Japan, Korea, it's still there's still a lot of men controlling everything, controlling women. I don't care for that. I don't think that's uh, appropriate. But there's not, no way I can actually politically, I can't do anything about that, but I can comment on it. And so that I, I, the control idea is, huh, it's, especially on the spiritual path, there's still a lot of that going on. Sometimes, it's, sometimes it could be women too. It's always men, but culturally it seems to be mainly men. And then the men fight with each other about which lineage has the true teaching of the Buddha. And, uh, the downside of that is just obvious. And then the upside is because of that cultural change up going back and forth, that's why we have the teachings here today. It needed to have, uh, the way I see it, it needed to have 18 schools after the Buddha passed into Parinirvana. Uh, there was 18 different factions, as the story goes, that all had a different idea about how to teach what he said. Or what he taught, so shows up. I think the only one left is are the Theravadins. I, I may be wrong about that. I'm not a scholar, nor a historian. Is there a final question somewhere? From anyone? Is there a beginning question anywhere? Christine Bowing. Right, Christine. Um, nothing about this path seems to be immediate. How did your monastery come to have the name, the Order of Immediate Light, bowing? Yeah. Uh, because uh, the nature of realization is immediate. The path to it is not so immediate, other than each step is the moment. Each step is, is, is immediate. Every step you take is awakening. Everything you see is the Buddha. 
Every every thought that arises in your mind is a is a living bodhisattva. Won't believe anything I say. You can consider it. It's meant to be uh, to share with you some of my inspiration for continuing on the path to even function as a an old teacher. And so it's immediate. Everything there is no past and future that's gone. There is, there's not even a present moment. Those are all commentaries on the past and the future coming together and you know, all that bologna sandwich. So everything is always not right now. There isn't any tomorrow or next day or it's always now. And it's not a, some kind of fancy uh, feeling that makes your heart flutter. It's just the truth. You see it. You don't need proof because proof is something else. There's something about that. That's proof. It, it, it is its own validation, if you want to even call it that. So it's light, and its fundamental nature is light. That's a relative thing we can talk about. And uh, the quality of that immediacy, or uh, that, that light is immediacy. Immediate. Just this, this, this light, not some other light. Very good. Good place to... Pay the light bill. Remember this penetrating to all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize the Buddha's way. Jiho Sanchi Shifu The three worlds, all Buddhas, all venerable ones, Bodhisattvas, Mahasattvas, Federate Prajna, Paramita. All Buddhas and Bodhisattvas of the ten directions and the three times, please hear us. Please come down out of the light and protect Sotokoji Buddhist Temple Monastery, our Sangha, families, friends, and visitors. Heal everyone who is unhappy, sick, or suffering and fill them with light. If you value the teachings of Sokozan and you would like to support his teaching work and the functions of Sokukoji Buddhist Temple Monastery, which also supports monk and practice residents, please consider giving a donation by visiting our website at sokukoji.org.